all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Back to our usual roles. Yes. Did, did our audience notice that? Yes. Yes, they did. Um, Rachel from Yours and well, Murder. Well, we're assuming they did. Yes. Well, Rachel from Yours and Murder, our, our good pod friend, um, fellow co-host for the Death Star episode, uh, says she very much enjoys the ones that you research. So. Okay, good. Yeah. At least somebody does. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people do. <laughs> I do because it's very helpful to me. So I I did enjoy doing it, but mm-hmm. um, I must admit that I did not know how painstaking of a process it would be until I went into the it researching. for a few times. Because, as I mentioned during those podcasts, there is a narrative that you have to kind of stick to. Otherwise, the yep. story is just all over the place, and there's there's so, so throughout researching it, you you will kind of naturally find it. But you also have to know how to not go too far down... The rabbit trails. Right. Mm-hmm. Something that's essentially off-topic as far as your narrative is concerned. Mm-hmm. So... Well, remember, um, I in our last episode, the Mexico City earthquake, mm-hmm. I cut out the whole part where, like, <laughs> one sentence in, when you said Central Standard Time, and I started, like, questioning you, grilling you about Central Standard Time. I, kinda, I do remember talking about that, and I remember listening to it and wondering, like, I, I, took I it thought out. we talked about <laughs> Central Standard Time. Yes. So, clearly, I'm not you're very like, good. You're like, I want the facts, damn it. How did you know that it was Central Standard Time in that part of Mexico? Well, I'm not very good at the co-host role because clearly I get distracted by stupid, unnecessary details. And then I have nothing interesting to say. I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, that's terrible. Like, I'm not very good at It's not that you don't have anything interesting to say. It's that sometimes you want to you want to drag off into those 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 places that I didn't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not very good at just shutting it down. You're good at shutting it down. Because there, there have been times where I'm like, let's not go there. And, and you, you, you let it go very easily. Uh, if there's one thing you probably know about me by now, it's that I don't let things go very easily. No. But, yeah, that's part of the reason why we got married. I guess so. But I passed my first test. Yay. Yes. Ooh, cheers. Oh, let me cheers the mic. Because that didn't come in very well. There we go. <laughs> Um, so I did get some research done, even though I have two more tests coming up within the next 10 days. Yay! Remember, she is losing her mind, but she can still, hopefully, do your taxes. So, yes. Almost almost business included. Yes, I'm, the business test is on Thursday, yes. So this week's, um, shoutouts, um, are to Akshay. Yes. From Blood on the Rocks, yes. as always. Which I we started to listen to the podcast the other night. Uh, uh-uh. That was a different one. Oh, uh, oh that, that's right. That wasn't his. See? No, no I, I didn't I didn't play the one for you. I just described it because I knew that it would... Uh, huh, Kitty. What was, the, what was the one that we were listening to with the Someone Canadians? Someone knows something. Okay. Yes. That's, okay. Which is also very good. But no, I was describing this episode to you, <coughs> excuse me, of Akshay's, because I knew that it wasn't really up your alley because it was very gruesome. Right. So, um, Blood on the Rocks is always great, but Akshay has been hitting it out of the park lately. I, I shouted him out last week for it, and this week I have to, too. I think the name of the episode was Cemented Cruelty or something to that extent, or to that effect, but um, it was a brutal, brutal story that he told with a lot of sensitivity, and it was really well done. I was... I, I was very impressed. He did a great job. I mean, he always does, but that was that was like especially well done in my opinion. So if you're not listening to Blood on the Rocks, you are definitely missing out. Um, 
Also, shout out to our listener, Roger, who correctly identified the Nancy Travis movie oh, last yes. week that I was trying yes. to come up with. It is The Vanishing. And you remember this movie, too. When huh? you when you brought it up, what the movie was called, I was like, oh, yeah, the one with Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, you named and the whole cast. It was Jeff a Bridges. Bridges. It was Jeff. Jeff Bridges, yes. It was Jeff. But he lo- it's weird. He looks like Bo Bridges in that movie. Really? He did. Yes, he did. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. That's funny. Um, and also one of Sandra Bullock's yeah, first Roger like, featured, that uh, she was, she had a not small necessarily part. featured, she had a small part, but with her featured cast. Yeah. Like that yeah. was her first, uh. Kind of big break, sort of breakthrough role or something. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Even though she was in it for maybe a couple of scenes mm. from what I remember, but I haven't seen the movie. So good on you, Roger, from. Good from- on you, Roger. And especially good on me. <laughs> Because all I watched for the 80s, 90s, and most of the 2000s were movies. <laughs> so. <laughs> you know a lot about movies. I'll grant you that. I do. But not recent ones. I've kind of gotten well, away from them. But anyway. Yeah. Th- this will not become the tickling podcast. <laughs> this will not become the movie podcast. Um, big shout out also to our listener, Elena, who emailed us a great suggestion uh, for a topic. Okay. That will be done very soon. Oh, okay. So I did um, research on one other episode, which we might do before that, but after that, at the very latest, so within a couple weeks, we'll definitely cover it. And I'm going to keep it just between me and Elena now, so that it's a nice surprise when it comes out. But it's a good one. And it okay. was, is one I had not heard of, so... Oh, even, even better. And a new type of disaster, or one with a twist for us. So, so. like a new category. Kind of. Kind of? All right. Kind of and kind of not. I'll make it as vague as possible. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I I look forward to it either way. So today's episode, I put a little terrible... Put a teaser out there. Yeah. Like, (laughs) can you guess what what the topic is? And I just put like a close-up of water. (laughs) And we all guessed the same thing. Everybody, yes. So I said I was so excited because it was a big one. And everyone guessed the tsunami, which is a great guess. And then also we got... um, uh, The tsunami of... Oh, 2004. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I I, like that's the only tsunami. Um, No. The the Indian Ocean tsunami of 2004, which we will definitely be covering. Um, In fact, I started the research for it like months ago and... Somehow got lost in the shuffle from my work computer when talk I got about, laid off. But again, talking about a story that, you know, you have to pick a narrative and stick with it. Oh, yes. Otherwise, there's just way <laughs> yeah, too there's, many. There's it's going to be of... a multi-parter oh, for sure, sure when for sure. we get to it. Um, for sure. Yes. And uh, A Perfect Storm. You know, the Andrea Gael was also a that was a that guess. was a guess. Mm-hmm. That was not my guess. My no. guess was also the tsunami. Yes, which is a good one. It's a good one. Um, but uh, so I I think I threw everybody off by saying you know it's a big one when I think maybe I have it as being a bigger disaster in my mind because it's been in my consciousness my whole life. But it it's not a huge death toll necessarily. But it was immortalized in song. Okay. Are Any we talking, guesses? Uh, Clash of the Titans. What? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was just throwing something out there. No, we are talking about the immortal Gordon Lightfoot and oh. the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot is a Canadian. This story a? has ties to Canada. Nice. I have ties to Canada. <laughs> yes, we all do. Our Canadian brethren. Well, I specifically do. Well, so do I. Do you? Well, we lived basically in Canada for a while. No, but I literally have family no, in Canada. I know. <laughs> Let's just get to the story. <laughs> so, what what do you know of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? All I honestly, all I know about it is I've heard uh, heard of it. Yes, it seems to be like kind of folklore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and a. A beer company that was the name of one of their beers. What? Great Lakes Brewing. Yes. Which is yes. why that's what I was looking for tonight before we recorded because I wanted to be drinking an Edmund Fitzgerald Porter, oh, but I couldn't okay. find it. So I'm drinking do we, a Guinness. Do we still have the bottle uh, yes, in our do. kitchen? Okay, nice. Or no, we don't because it's not a North Carolina beer. Oh, bummer. Had to had to weed it out, but and I the, like that and one. And the Edmund Fitzgerald wrecks again <laughs> in our recycle bin. Couldn't even get into our kitchen. <laughs> 
Um, but I feel like the the seafarers of the Edmund Fitzgerald would appreciate a good Guinness stout. Sure. So that's what I'm drinking. Um, but uh, or a burial stout. Oh yes, that's what you're drinking. That I cannot drink mm-hmm. burial. I love you, but could you please not put milk sugar in the donuts stout? Because <laughs> it's so good, but I can't have it because of that. Anyway. I'm going to move on to the Edmund Fitzgerald and stop the inane banter. Burial, just for the record, either way works for me. (laughs) Well, okay, yes. (laughs) Yes. So, let's talk about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes, let's. On November 10th, 1975. Oh, so this isn't even that long ago. Not not in relative history, no. Um, The SS Edmund Fitzgerald sank... In Lake Superior, in Ontario waters, so Canadian waters, killing the entire crew of 29 on board. Okay. Well, it's a steamship. It said SS. Mm -hmm. That's all. Okay. I was expecting. I'm glad it's not. Oh, like like the Titanic or something. Well, you know, I I was expecting 100 plus. I was expecting, you know, triple digit number Mm -hmm. at least, um, because I'm going to guess it takes a lot of people to, but... 29? 29. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still not great, but better than 100. No, but it was... Part of why this was immortalized really was Gordon Lightfoot, which we'll get to in a bit, but... Eh? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Canada's own Gordon Lightfoot. So you're absolutely right. SS stands for steamship, which we learned about in the Eastland disaster. Remember that? Yes. Is that, okay, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Um, so the Edmund Fitzgerald was built for the Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company of Wisconsin in 1957. So this is kind of interesting because, like, what is an insurance company doing building a steamship? But they had specifically invested heavily in the iron and mineral industries. So they built the Fitzgerald for the express purpose of moving ore through the Great Lakes, which is sure. a very common... Yeah. It's part of the shipping industry yeah. there, you know. Um, so the ship was named for Edmund Fitzgerald, the then president and chairman of the board of Northwestern Mutual. So that's oh. where the name comes from. Okay. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and guess he was Irish. That's, that's a good uh, <laughs> that's a good guess. Yes, yeah, so I think you would appreciate the Guinness. <laughs> so the Fitzgerald was the first lake freighter built to be as big as was allowable for the St. Lawrence Seaway. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, the Eisenhower locks at Messina are part of... Messina. New York. Yes. Of course I know that. Well, our audience doesn't. Oh, okay. Necessarily. Yes. That is where David is from. Yes. And we saw... No, we didn't see the we, You can't go up locks. to them anymore. Uh-huh. <clears throat> you we? could... We drove past them. We drove past them, yes. Yeah. I was going to say, I recall us. I could something. show you pictures of them because a friend of mine actually works there. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I've seen pictures, like, online, but. Um, but, yeah, you used to be able to go right up to the locks and watch the ships go through. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get sidetracked with what the locks are. I know. It's, it's that's super easy to do. Yes. Um, it's a way to get ships through. Right. Just just yeah. look it up because yeah. if you're most people will be like, what the hell are uh, locks? Yeah, yeah. What are they talking about? And, and it's it's like it's L O C K S. I thought it was locks like Lock Lomond, L O C H, you know. But no, it's a lock like a lock and key. Um so the Fitzgerald ended up just one foot shy of the maximum allowable length to get through the locks. Mm-hmm. Um so it ended up at seven hundred twenty-nine feet long. Um, Just so I can mention, the reason that we're talking about the locks and the Great Lakes is those ships are getting through those locks mm -hmm. out of the Great Lakes so they can eventually go back to the Atlantic and and vice versa. Right. The St. Lawrence leads from the Atlantic to the Great Lakes. Yes. To Lake Ontario? Yes. Okay. And then you can go through, but anyway. Right, and then you can get to the... That's the reason why. It's a major, major shipping channel. Yes, yes. The... um, uh, the Atlantic Ocean through the St. Lawrence Seaway to the Great Lakes right. is a huge. There's millions, billions, trillions of dollars that go through that 
waterway every year. Right. And obviously you grew up on the St. Lawrence, but mm-hmm. I visited last year when we went up there and it's also gorgeous. It is. It's very pretty. The Thousand Islands of yes. New York and all that up in that area. Yeah, it's beautiful. You've got four months of good weather and that's it. Well, that's <laughs> all you need. <laughs> I don't need to stay there much longer than that. So it was the longest ship on the Great Lakes at 729 feet. Um, its nickname was the Queen of the Lakes, which is like um, the honorary title that they give to whatever the biggest ship is at the time on the Great Lakes. Um, but it didn't last very long because two years later, in 1959, <laughs> the SS Murray Bay made it up to the full maximum length of 730. It's it's simply, uh, show me yours, I'll show you mine. Yeah, basically, literally. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what capitalism is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, freighters like the Fitzgerald are generally not super fancy. They're just meant to take ore from point exactly. A to point B. Yeah. Um, but, for some reason, the Fitzgerald was actually outfitted a lot more luxuriously. Um the J.L. Hudson Company, known as Hudson's, a Detroit-based department store of the time, furnished the ship. There was thick carpeting, which doesn't t- seem terribly practical for a ship, no, but okay. Not necessarily. I, I probably don't think probably like a, maybe for like a the cabins or whatever. I'm, yeah, I, or a, an inside or for like cabin. an observation deck. I'm sure the decks were not carpet no <laughs> that wouldn't make much well i just sense. said observation deck but like an observation room yeah maybe, maybe like a you know, an the top inside floor. yeah like, oh make nice carpet we've we've got furnished we've got a maybe. furniture from um what was the company hudson's hudson's we've got furniture from mm-hmm. hudson's we've got a carpeted floor mm-hmm. this is in 1975 where you uh-huh. can smoke cigarettes and just wherever i or yeah. no this is 1957 or 57 yes mm-hmm that's right. It, so you could smoke even more. Yes. <laughs> you could smoke two cigarettes and a cigar <laughs> at the same time, and nobody was going to say a damn thing. Yeah. Uh, the portholes had little curtains. Okay. Had fancy tiled bathrooms. So they tried to class it up a little leather bit. Leather chairs in the guest yeah. lounge. Two staterooms for passengers on board. Um, there was even air conditioning that went into the cruise quarters, which... Mm, Probably that sounds like awesome it would awesome, that honestly be pretty fancy for yes. back in the day. And there were two dining rooms on board, and the navigation equipment was considered state-of-the-art at the time. Sure. <clears throat> so this is pretty, were, a pretty fancy were, ship. They came within one foot of the maximum length. They, they were not fucking around. <laughs> no, they weren't. So the like, fi- if you want Hudson's furniture, <clears throat> we'll give you Hudson's furniture. <laughs> and carpet. And air conditioning. And porthole curtains. Yes. So the Fitzgerald was christened on June 7th, 1958. Um, so sort of a funny thing slash a bad harbinger, however you want to look at it. The ship's, Bad omen. Yeah. The ship's sponsor, Edmund Fitzgerald's wife, Elizabeth Fitzgerald, had to take three tries hitting the bottle of champagne on oh, the bow I, I thought before you were gonna, it broke. I thought you were going to say she drowned in Lake Superior. No. Oh. <laughs> that would have been an even worse though. Yeah, that, that would have been worse. Um, although, <laughs> when the ship did finally launch, it set off sort of sideways initially. Uh, that reminds us of the Eastland disaster. Yeah, a little bit. So it was listing, um, and it caused a huge wave that washed over the audience. <laughs> That's kind, yeah. kind of funny. It's kind of funny, except it crashed into a Because pier. they were all smoking cigarettes <laughs> watching this thing go. All their cigarettes are extinguished, and they're like, oh, shit. Well, so it, it, it crashed into the pier, but finally righted itself. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but in a weird way, this did actually cause its first death because one spectator had a heart attack. While watching this oh, all go down. Okay. I thought you were going to say somebody got crushed. Okay. No, no. Oh, okay. No. Well. So, he had a heart attack and died of it. All it took was seeing a ship, like, kind of crash into a dock. had a weak heart. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. He was probably going to go anytime yeah. soon anyway. <laughs> so, in spite of this um, inauspicious beginning, the Fitzgerald successfully completed its nine-day-of-sea trials on September 22nd of 58, and in 69, it was upgraded by the installation of a diesel-powered bow thruster. And though it was originally a coal-powered ship, it was converted to oil in the winter of 71-72. So it was also considered quite a workhorse and set records 
on hauling on haul tonnage six separate times. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, well, it's that's one of that's, the biggest. That's tra- essentially what they built it for. Yes, was to do just that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they fancied it up a little bit, but right. there's a reason they made it to within one foot of what it could possibly be. Right, and that was to haul shit back and forth. So it was known for hauling taconite. Um, an iron is is that on the periodic table? I don't know. (laughs) It's an iron bearing sedimentary rock. So the answer is no, because it's a type of rock, a sedimentary rock. But it has iron in it, and iron is on the (laughs) on the iron is, thankfully. Um so it would haul this taconite from near Duluth, Minnesota. Okay. Um to ironworks in Detroit and Toledo and other ports along the Great Lakes. Um, the ship had other nicknames other than the Queen of the Lakes, which was subsequently taken from it by the, uh, the Murray Bay. Um, it was known as the Fitz, Pride of the American Flag, uh, the Mighty Fitz, and the Titanic of the Great Lakes. Yeah, which, that's, that's, that's not, not a That's great not the nickname you want to go with. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I hope they didn't put that on a postcard. No. Um, the ship was a favorite of boat watchers. Sure. Because of her size, the record setting, setting, and the antics of her captain, Peter Pulser, <laughs> who would play music at all hours in the ship on the ship's intercom system. <laughs> it's like a party boat, and he became known as the DJ captain. <laughs> hey, why not? Yeah, I mean, DJ captain. It's kind of fun because that is that's got to be a, 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 cup, a grinding. Well, a couple of the movies that I've watched. And watching here and there, what was that reality show? Um, oh, the uh, biggest catch or something like that. Yeah, whatever. Greatest I, catch. Yeah, whatever. The biggest greatest something catch. <laughs> Deadliest catch. Deadliest catch. Deadliest That's catch. It. I only watched a few episodes of that. Um, My dad liked that because I found it kind of. Maybe I just didn't watch the right ones. I wasn't didn't get that into it. But anyway, the one thing I got out of that, mm-hmm. and out of a couple of the movies that I've seen. It's like, that's got to be an effing miserable existence. Like a seafaring life. Because you're working all day, every day. From the time you leave Mm -hmm. to the time you get back. Yeah. Now, these guys weren't, like, at sea for days on end. They were just going back and forth in the Great Lakes. But still. It was a a haul, but still. That's that's taken a couple of days. Just just a seafaring life seems very gritty. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, like, when they go back to port wherever they wind up hopefully back to where they're from oh the drunken sailor sort of well right party, i mean party, like hey why don't you save their your money and this and that like they're like because i could fucking die the next time i go yeah, out well, on a boat like, well you know as we'll discover they're like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna <clears throat> buy everybody a bottle of jameson and have one for myself and fuck <laughs> yeah. it um so dj captain pulsar <laughs> Uh, would host dinner, dinner light candles. Uh, dinner light candles. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I'm not even. I wasn't. Guys, my I wasn't brain even, is so fried. I was fried not even sure that you really said that. But until you did. I said it twice. Yes. Guys, my brain is so fried. I'm sorry. Candlelit dinners. That's a real thing. Yes, it <laughs> yes, is. Yes, okay. For guests well, aboard the ship. Dinner light candles. Dinner light candles. Probably a real thing in some other culture. <laughs> Not necessarily oh, here, but... Oh, man. It's been a It could be week. a culture in Canada. Like, I don't really oh. know. Or in Duluth. No, it's a culture <laughs> in my insane brain right now. Okay. Let's get back on track. Serious faces. The career of the Edmund Fitzgerald was relatively illustrious... Though it did have a few mishaps, <laughs> even after the christening debacle. I was going to say it started out with a yeah. mishap. Yeah. So the ship ran aground <laughs> in 1969. Happens. Collided with another ship in 1970. That also happens. Struck the wall of a lock also in 1970. That happens a lot. I'm sure it does. And 73. <laughs> yep. And 74. Yep. <laughs> And lost her bow anchor in the Detroit River. That doesn't necessarily happen all that often, but I'm, <laughs> but, I'm but I'm sure it has happened before, and I'm prob- sure they weren't and probably the first. and probably since. So yes, these incidents were considered pretty normal, and none were that serious. Um, so freighters like the Fitzgerald were built to last over fifty years. So the Fitzgerald still had a lot of years 
ahead of her in service. It would have literally just recently been retired. If it, it, yeah. If it made yeah. it that entire yeah. time. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, did not. Let's get into the last voyage mm. of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I don't like this part. Oh. So at 8.30 on November 9th, 1975, the Edmund Fitzgerald was loaded with its cargo, which was 26,116 long tons of taconite ore pellets. At the Burlington Northern Railroad, Dock 1 in Superior, Wisconsin. So Superior is in the extreme um, northwest Wisconsin, like basically on the border with Minnesota, right on Lake Superior. Um, at 2.15 p.m., she shoved up, off, uh, shoved up, <laughs> shoved off. Shoved up. Under I, the, hey, mate. <laughs> under the command of Captain Ernest McSorley. So the, the era of DJ Captain is done. And McSorley was the last captain of the ship. Now <laughs> And sadly did not DJ or hold n- candlelight n- dinners. No. At least they could have gone out with some... Yeah, some Let's flair. see, 1979, or er, 75... It probably would have been... Uh, That's when leisure suits were definitely in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the crew should have been decked in leisure suits. And then everything probably would have been fine. Well, because they would have been so visible. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already discussed a disaster, a nautical disaster in this region of the yes, U.S. Yeah, the Eastland. So the Eastland sunk in the Chicago River, but mm-hmm. as I said, the Edmund Fitzgerald sunk in Lake Superior. And there's a huge difference between these well, two sure. bodies of water. But they're not that far from each other. No, they're all. not. They're they're close yeah. geographically, but Superior is the largest of the Great Lakes, hence, H- hence Superior, the name. yes. And it is the largest freshwater lake in the world by surface area. So not necessarily by volume, but by surface area. And again, I think we mentioned this maybe during the Eastland, but anyway, uh-huh. if you have not, if you're listening to this and you have not seen a Great Lake, it's basically like the ocean. Go to, I mean, there are plenty of cities or smaller cities that have resorts on the Great Lakes. Go mm-hmm. go to one of them. It doesn't matter what, really which one. Mm-hmm. You won't believe it's a lake. Yeah. It looks like an ocean. Yeah. Well, and Superior being the largest. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what the surface area square mileage is? Uh, brown. <laughs> I have no idea. 31,700 square miles. That was my second guess. It's enormous. That's fucking... It's huge. It's roughly the size of South Carolina and the country of Austria. Okay. It's huge. Uh, yeah. Enormous. But why does that seem not right to me? Oh, because I'm doing my math wrong. Never mind. Yes. Okay. I'm going to trust Wikipedia on this. <laughs> I'm going to trust Wikipedia. I'm going to trust this. Wikipedia no. on the Death Star. <laughs> it is also the most northern of the Great Lakes, and is at the highest elevation of any of the five. Um, so at this point in time, in the mid seventies, um, the lake's temperature ranged seasonally between. 32 and 55 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 0 to 13 Celsius. Sounds about right. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was November, so chances are it was a lot closer to the colder end of that. And so this is a gigantic lake, to say the least. This is, like, basically the ocean. Like (laughs) a small ocean. It's basically South Carolina. (laughs) South Carolina or Austria. As a lake. Yes. (laughs) So on this particular voyage, the Fitzgerald was headed to a steel mill near Detroit on Zug Island. So it was going all the way through Lake Superior, through St. Mary's River between Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan and Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And aren't you impressed that I, I know I how am, to say Sault Ste. Marie? Yes. We're not even going to, we're not going to reveal how it's spelled. because You have to look it up. Yes. Except it'll be hard to do because you yes. won't be able to spell it. Because you won't get it correct. <laughs> Or will you? <laughs> South through Lake Huron, through the St. Clair River, into Lake St. Clair, and through the Detroit River to Zug Island. Um, the, it reached top speeds of uh, 16.3 miles per hour, or 14.2 knots. Now, the month of November in the Great Lakes is known as the month of storms. Okay. And this is obviously not going to bode well for the heroes of our story here. So at 2.39 p.m., same day, November 9th, 
not long after the Fitzgerald had taken off. Central Standard Time? <laughs> I think so, actually. <laughs> I, I do say, think Minnesota... We're, we're talking about Lake Superior, mm-hmm. most likely. I do think... Uh, I know Minnesota's in Central Time, so yes, I think... I was joking initially, and then I realized, oh, ah, it might actually be. Yes. <laughs> so at 2.39 p.m., which was... Let's see, they shoved off at 2.15, so like 20 minutes after they took off... The National Weather Service issue war- issued warnings of gale force winds oh. in the vicinity, though it was predicted it would hit mostly mostly north of Lake Superior. Uh, captain Bernie Cooper, the captain of another ship that had headed out, the Arthur M. Anderson, spotted the Fitzgerald and began radio communication with Captain McSorley. So the two ships were in contact. Just to keep each other. each other on the up and yeah. up, hey? Yeah. Everything going good. Good. How's it going with you? Right, yeah. <laughs> A couple hours after the Fitzgerald left, the SS Wilfred Sykes departed from the same dock, and its captain, uh, Captain Dudley Paquette, predicted that the storm would not stick to the north, but actually go directly across Lake Superior. So he decided from the outset to take a slightly different route that would keep the Sykes closer to the north shore of the lake to keep the ship more protected from the brunt of the storm. Um, McSorley and Cooper, still in communication, decided to stick to the usual route. So the idea was that the storm was going to pass north of them, and if they just stuck to the regular route, they'd be okay. So the National Weather Service updated their forecast at 7 o'clock that night, November 9th, issuing gale warnings for all of Lake Superior, so not just to the north. So the other captain was right, um, the... Uh, Dudley Paquette was correct. So warnings for gale force winds means there could be winds between 39 and 46 miles per hour um, and wave heights of 18 to 25 feet. Holy shit. So that's no joke. No. (laughs) I was going to say the the wind wind didn't sound that bad. Right, not terrible, but... But what it's going to create... 18 to 25 foot waves? Yeah. That's huge. That's, yeah. That's pretty fucking scary so at that point the fitzgerald and the anderson definitely decided to alter their course so they were trying to find less stormy waters along the shorelines of ontario so what both ships ended up actually finding was a winter storm in the middle of the night at 1 a.m on november 10th with winds of up to 60 miles per hour Six zero. Yes, six zero. Oh, and waves shit. as high as 10 feet. So lesser waves, but bigger winds. Sure. By 2 a.m., the, Nor- the National Weather Service upgraded the wind warning, obviously. Both ships continued traveling through the storm into the afternoon of the 10th. So they're still going. Uh, between the storm, and it had actually started snowing at this point, uh, differences in speed, poor visibility. The Anderson lost sight of the Fitzgerald around 2.45 to 3 p.m. on November 10th. And things kept getting worse for the Fitzgerald soon after. So around 3.30 p.m., Captain McSorley radioed Captain Cooper aboard the Anderson and said, quote, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have a fence rail down, two vents lost or damaged, and a list. So, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we all know what that is. Mm-hmm. I'm checking down. Will you stay by me till I get to Whitefish? End quote. So he means Whitefish Bay, which is what leads to um, Lake Huron, I believe. And he's also somewhat asking for an escort. Correct? Well, like somebody to keep an eye on him? If not an escort, at least, yeah. Like yeah. A, they, they were traveling together. The only yeah. reason they lost each other was because of the poor visibility right. and the difference in speed. But they could still that. communicate between radio, which is what he's doing here. Right, yes. So he's, he's probably... He probably also gave their coordinates, all this and that, and they're like, hey, can you at least keep an eye on us till we make it to the closest destination? Right. So his plan, McSorley's plan was to slow down the Fitzgerald so that the Anderson could catch up with them. Um, but shortly after this communication, the U.S. Coast Guard warned all vessels that the Sioux locks, which are what let the ships travel between Lake Superior and the, the other Great Lakes, had been closed so they couldn't get through. And that they should seek safety and anchor. So they were based, the Coast Guard was just like, yeah, you should not be on the lake at this point. Yeah, the Coast Guard was like, you're kind of on your own. Well, yeah, I mean, they were telling them stop. Yeah. Around 4.10 p.m., McSorley called the Anderson again saying, quote, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have lost both radars. Oh. 
Can you provide me with a ra- with radar plots till we reach Whitefish Bay? That is not good at all. Mm-mm. And the Anderson crew responded, quote, Charlie on that Fitzgerald will keep you advised on position. Um, so they were they were going to watch out for them. Get them on there, get close sure. enough to get on their radar right. so that they could keep them apprised of where they were. But he was flying blind at this point, McSorley was. So um, McSorley f- slowed the ship further to try to get the Anderson within 10-mile range, which is where the Anderson's radar could start picking them up for navigational guidance for, for the radar. Um, and the Anderson was indeed able to direct the Fitzgerald into Whitefish Bay. So yes, it's the bay oh, on the really? Yep, the okay. eastern shore of east eastern end of the southern shore of Lake Superior between Michigan and Ontario. So that's where Whitefish Bay is. Um, I didn't foresee that happening at all. That it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that part did. Captain McSorley contacted both the Coast Guard and the other ships to ask if the Whitefish Point Lighthouse and Navigational Beacon were still operational. And sometime between 5 and 5.30, he got an answer from Captain Cedric Wood- Woodard of Avafors. Of Avafors. Uh, I could never, never figured out how to pronounce it. Aquifers? A-V-A-F-O-R-S. I have no idea. Avafors. Avafers? Avafers, maybe. Anyway, he was telling him the lighthouse was on, but not the radio beacon. So they're not running on full operation. um, But at least the lighthouse is on. The lighthouse is on. That helps. And McSorley told Woodard, quote, I have a bad list. I have lost both radars and I'm taking heavy seas over the deck in one of the worst seas I have ever been in. And Woodard said, quote, if I'm correct, you have two radars. And McSorley said, quote, they're both gone. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you hear what I just said? Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He yes. wasn't a good listener, yes. apparently. I had two, ra- ra- <laughs> yeah. two radars. Had being the past tense. Mm-hmm. I don't have them anymore. So here's some statistics for you. By this time, sustained winds of over 58 miles. Sustained winds. These are not gusts. Right. Were being recorded across Lake Superior with the Anderson even logging sustained sustained winds as high as 67 miles an hour, gusts of up to 86 miles that an hour. This is, this is tropical sust- storm force. If the sustained winds are that high, yeah. you know the gusts yes. are even worse. Yes. And you know it's cold as fuck. And if the Poseidon Adventure taught us nothing else... <laughs> you go to the engine room. No, no. Oh. Rogue not- waves. Yeah. There were rogue waves as high as 35 feet. I guess I wouldn't necessarily doubt it. Yeah, no. Th- this, this is, again, mm-hmm. for people who have never seen a great lake, like, you couldn't believe it's a lake. It looks mm-hmm. like an ocean. If you heard a 35-foot wave in the, the ocean, ocean somewhere, wind. you'd be yeah. like, yeah. Th- that would make of sense, Of course. Yeah. It also makes sense in a great lake. Yeah. Like, it really does. There's that much volume mm-hmm. to create something like that. So the Anderson was hit by two giant waves around 7 p.m., which damaged but didn't sink the ship or harm anyone on board. At approximately 7.10 p.m., the Anderson asked McSorley how the Fitzgerald was doing. And McSorley said, quote, we are holding our own, end quote. Within 10 minutes, the Anderson could no longer get McSorley on the radio or detect the ship on radar. No distress signal was ever received. And at that point, they pretty much had to look out for themselves, right? Well, they were still trying to look out for the Fitzgerald. But they're already kind of at their destination, right? The Fitzgerald is. No. No, they're they're needing to get somewhere where they can anchor. And they're all trying to do that. They're in Whitefish Bay, but they need to get to the shore. Oh, okay. They're... They're not at port. No, no. Okay, no, 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 I thought that's what. Okay, Mm-mm. all right. No, they're still out. They're still out in the middle of all that. They're close to being there. They're not exactly. No, they're there not. Yet. Well, I mean, it's big. I don't. Sure. So, it's estimated. It, either either way, these two ships had to part ways at some point because of how. No, it, they they lost the Fitzgerald on the radar. No, I'm I'm saying, but the the other ship had to kind of. Look out for itself after a little no, bit. No, they were still trying to look for them. They were still keeping them on the radar. They, that's how they knew they lost them. Okay. And they lost them because they sank. Okay. Okay. Between 7.20 and 7.30 p.m., 
the Edmund Fitzgerald sank, and all 29 crew on board died. Jesus. Yeah. So, there were major problems with radio communications in the storm, as one would suspect, after the Anderson lost contact with the Fitzgerald. The reason being they lost contact because the Fitzgerald sank. Captain Cooper of the Anderson tried to raise the Coast Guard, but he had problems doing so. But he was able to contact another oddly named ship, the Nanfrey, which also looked for the Fitzgerald on their radar, but couldn't couldn't find them. Uh, Cooper was able to contact the Coast Guard at 8.25 p.m. to let them know something was wrong, and by 9.03 expressly reported that, okay, now the, Fitz- the Fitzgerald is officially missing now. Okay. And the other ship that's in contact with is the Anderson? The Anderson was the basically the ship that was going along with the um, Fitzgerald for most of the time. Right. I see. I thought they got separated because of how violent the storm got. They had gotten a little separated, but then they were able to close back in on each other. That's okay. why McSorley had slowed down the ship so that they could, the Anderson could gain on them. Okay. I, I just shouldn't have cut in before because I was thinking. Oh, that's okay. No, it's I, all was, right. I was just thinking they they got they had lost. Yes, well, they they kind of did for for a time, yeah. but but the um, and I may not have expressed that well. The Anderson did gain back I on. didn't follow the narrative. Okay, sorry, that's my fault. I did sort of cut, or I, I had, I wrote out some stuff and then I was cutting and pasting some of what I had written, so it's very possible that happened. I, I understand your pain. Yes, you do. <laughs> so, 9.03 p.m., the Anderson says, hey, it's official, the Fitzgerald is just missing. No shit, okay. So, at that point, the Coast Guard asked Cooper to turn his ship around in the middle of this storm, and try to find survivors of the Fitzgerald. They pretty much assumed that they had something bad had happened. Um, but isn't that also endangering? It, it is, yes. I mean, that's, and a... that's that. I did read that that was like, it's there wasn't much of a rescue effort initially because there really wasn't a whole lot they could do in this storm. Um, but the Coast Guard also, around 10.30 p.m., sent out a call to all commercial vessels near and around Whitefish Bay to help with the search. Well, sure, that makes sense. Just to let everybody know that, hey, yeah. this ship, is, as far as we know, is gone. If you can help, help yeah, us find it. If you're in it. the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because the idea is, at this point, it's only been, well, at this point, it's actually been like three hours, but still there could be survivors. Yeah. So life, life rafts, you know. Rose hung onto the door for <laughs> how long? I hate that movie. <laughs> so eventually the Anderson, the SS William Clay Ford, a Coast Guard buoy tender called the Woodrush, Woodrush, a fixed wing search aircraft and a U.S. Coast Guard search helicopter, along with assistance from the Canadian Coast Guard and the OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police. Very nice. We're searching for the Fitzgerald. Not the Naughty by Nature song. <laughs> what? There was, a, there was a song called OPP by, it, by Naughty by Nature. Were they a Canadian band? No, they were <laughs> They were not. Who are they? Let's just move on. <laughs> no, I don't want to. I want to be in on the joke. Okay. Is it because I'm young that I don't understand who That's, Naughty by Nature is? It might be. It's yeah, not it's, because I'm stupid. No, okay. it's not. All right, I feel a little better then. <laughs> You'll tell me later. Yes, I will. I guess as everyone else laughs at me. The the audience around my age will understand why that was so funny. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so all these people who are searching found lifeboats, rafts, and other debris, but no crew members. Jesus. On November 14th, a U.S. Navy aircraft located the wreck. Using equipment used to detect magnetic anomalies, like for finding submarines, the Fitzgerald was sunk in Canadian waters about 15 miles west of Dead Man's Cove, Ontario. Oh, Jesus. Um, 530 feet down. Yeah. So, uh, dives took place for the wreck in May of 76, and I'm guessing it was that long because it was just they, so cold up until that point. Well, especially at that latitude, mm-hmm. I mean, all that stuff freezes. Right. Um, 
So even though this is early November, correct? This is it November. was November 10th, yeah, yeah, I think. It's not going to be frozen by then, but probably by the time well, they discovered... clearly it wasn't because the Fitzgerald was... But by the time actually. they discovered the wreck and where it actually was, mm-hmm. um, it, it had probably already frozen over and there was just no way to get to it. Yeah, yeah. And those people were, rightfully so, probably assumed dead. So, so yeah, right. I mean, well, yeah. Uh, there, there's, you're not... Because if somebody had been alive, you would have found them on well, the surface they, somewhere. They found debris. That's the yeah. thing. They just didn't find people. Yeah. yeah. Is, oh, God. So, dives in May of 1976 showed the Fitzgerald was lying on the lake floor, basically split in half, <sighs> um, bow to port. Okay. Or, sorry, not oh. bow to port. Uh, uh, Vertically or horizontally? Horizontal. The short end. Okay. Jeez. Not not down yes, the I, long way. Yes. Wait, port and... What's the other one? Starboard. Starboard. I put bow and port. I meant starboard to port. So the the bow part of the ship was standing upright, about 170 feet away from the stern part, which was laying at about a 50 degree angle from the bow. So they were like this. I'm sure that visual helped everybody. <laughs> um, it did. There was a l- yeah. There was a large mass of taconite pellets and other debris between the two pieces. Yeah, it just... So all those 21,000 long tons of taconite were just all over the lake floor. And and just to... To give people... Uh, I grew up along this uh, part of the river where this takes place. Because part mm-hmm. of this journey takes place through the St. Lawrence Seaway. Um, Mm-mm. Not for no. I'm not talking about for the ending of the ship. I'm talking about sh- journeys that it would make. It went through no. the. No, the Fitzgerald. It, you said went through the St. Lawrence no, Seaway. Uh, I said that it was part of the St. Lawrence Seaway, but the Fitzgerald was just going between the Great Lakes. Especially here, it was going uh, okay. to, to. I thought Detroit. you were saying it was going through. Okay. No. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> you really want to say this, so that's okay. No, I'm just saying like these ships are fucking huge. Oh yes. Like, for anybody who, again, hasn't seen one, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about gigantic ships mm-hmm. that they don't necessarily sail along the waters as much as they just push the water right. completely out of the way. There's a huge wake. Yes. Yeah. From the front. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's why I'm kind of surprised it's only it, 29 people. Right. And it was one of the biggest that's, that's, that's a pretty too. small crew. Uh, and I'm going to guess crew. that these were all crew members. Yes. Yeah. There were no guests on board yeah. or anything. No, it was all it was all crew. So for that to, for something like that to happen to a ship that size mm-hmm. is pretty freaky, and I'm sure it caught everybody off guard. Well, and think about it; it split in half. This yeah, gigantic. Yeah, that's what ship. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So multiple dives were done to survey the wreck over the sure. years. Um, in like, and I mean over the years, yeah. because in 1994, I'm sure it was studied and mm-hmm. yeah. In 94, sport diver Fred Shannon conducted a series of dives, and his group discovered the remains of one of the crew mm. members. He was still partly dressed in coveralls, wearing a life jacket, and lying face up on the lake bottom. So a lot of people mm. point to that as they knew something was about to go yeah. down because if somebody was wearing a life jacket. So now, let's talk about the cause of the wreck. Yeah. So, no one saw this go down, literally. No one saw the, <laughs> the ship go down. Unfortunately, except for the 29 people yeah. who can't tell yeah. you what happened. So, it is not specifically known what exactly happened. There are theories. Um, there's a theory that there, uh, so there's, that there was a series of three rogue waves that apparently were... I, I don't know either known to have happened at that point, like that day, or whether this was a series of waves that tended to happen in this area. Anyway, they were known as the Three Sisters, these rogue waves. And they were spotted near the Fitzgerald when it sank, so it may have hit the ship as like one, two, three, and then it was just gone. Um, there are theories that waves like hit both the bow and the stern at the same time and that's what pressure sure that would have to be some damn powerful wave yeah, but it's but, possible uh, we know how po- powerful water is yeah as an energy there there are theories that it grounded like bottomed out because it was and, near a shoal and then split yep yeah um 
There were theories that some of the ship's hatches weren't closed properly, and it actually took on water gradually over time. But that's, um, I read that that's actually been pretty disproven at this point, so. Or that the ship had previous structural damage already that caused the sinking. But unfortunately, that's about all that's known. We'll never know. Yeah, yeah. Even could, though the wreck has been done. It could have been or, all of those things. Oh, a combination, yeah. At the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So, um... God damn, that's just... That, yeah. that just sounds... That sounds like it was just fucking brutal yes. to go through. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Probably terrifying, too. Yeah. So, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, as I said, was notably immortalized in the Gordon Lightfoot song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald... It's a six and a half minute long song with seven long verses that literally tell the entire tale of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I don't remember any of the words. All I know is I What is the name of the song? And the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. The wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Have you never heard the Gordon Lightfoot song? I'm sure I have because I grew up next to Canada. Yeah. But I probably never, I'm sure I never asked him, but like, oh, this is such a good song. Who is this? <laughs> oh, it's Gordon Lightfoot. I, well, I celebrate his entire catalog. <laughs> so, Light- so I'm sure I've heard it. I, yeah, yeah, probably. But Gordon Lightfoot wrote the song after reading a news article just after the wreck. It called The Cruelest Month in Newsweek magazine. And he considers that song to be his finest work. <laughs> it might be. I'm sure he does. All right. There, now, there, there are probably five other people that feel the same <laughs> way. Now, um, so here's my semi-personal connection to this oh, yes. story. Okay. Yeah. So my dad used to work for Caleb Brett, which is a subsidiary of Coke Industries. Boo, Coke Brothers. Um, outside but of Chicago. In, in Minnesota, when we lived in Minnesota. Oh, okay, that outside of Chicago. <laughs> well, like I mean, completely it was driving state. distance, but... <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was in Chicago working for that. No, no, he was born in Chicago. That's okay. the only time he's ever lived in Chicago was in the first few years of his life. But no, this was... I was a little so, kid. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> I was a little kid. We had moved from Miami to Minnesota, and my dad um, tested fuel on, like, big tankers and stuff. And so he worked in this area a lot. He went on oil rigs, too, or uh, ships. I don't know what they're called, but, you know, the ships with the oil that go. (laughs) I I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. We we call them tankers. Yes, yeah, Yeah. that makes sense, yeah. So he did a lot of work. I remember him talking about Duluth, Minnesota, and Superior, Wisconsin. And this was in the late 80s and early 90s that we lived there. And, and by the way, again, tankers are fucking huge yeah. ships. They are a couple of football fields long, at mm-hmm. least. So so we were there in the, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So some of the people still working around that area had been around <sighs> during the Fitzgerald and... Um, had maybe even known some of the people aboard the Edmund Fitzgerald. So the story that my dad told me that he's like, oh, I'd be interested in your... When I mentioned I was researching that, he's like, oh, I'd be interested if you um, come across anything about the cook. He said that somebody that he had worked with had said that he either he knew the cook or had heard this story at any rate that the cook wasn't supposed to be on board. That it was like a fluke that he was there. Well, this cook's name was Robert Rafferty. He was 62 and on board and died when the Fitzgerald sank. And it's true that he was not supposed to be on board that day. He was filling in for another cook who had bleeding ulcers, like stomach ulcers. So he was sick. Talk about the right time to have bleeding ulcers. Yeah. And um, so he was filling in for Richard Bishop, another cook. Um, so it's, I think it's interesting that we, you know, people like to tout the miracles, you know, like the people who narrowly miss things. We, uh, we did our Christmas episode. Yes. Very true. About somebody who fell from five plus miles in the sky and lived to tell about it. The, uh, the flip side of that. So this Robert Bishop was the miracle, right? Yeah. The flip side was the guy who took his place, mm-hmm. Robert Rafferty, who was thinking of retiring because he didn't want to spend Six, so much time away 62. from his family. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I'll give it one last go. Yep. Yeah. Probably a nice paycheck. Yeah. From you know. So, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to get too far down this rabbit hole. 
to pontificate, but just to say, you know, like something to consider is any time that you're thinking, oh, this is a miracle. Isn't this wonderful when something happens is to think, first of all, it has just not worked out that way for a lot of other people and maybe directly worked out that way for somebody specifically else. Sure. Anyway, so all told, the 29 crew members on the Fitzgerald were the captain, the first mate, second mate, and third mate, five engineers, three oilers, the cook, Robert Rafferty, a wiper, two maintenance workers, three watchmen, three deckhands, three wheelsmen, two porters, a cadet, and a steward. They ranged in age from 20 to 63, mm. which was McSorley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the cook was 62, yeah. right behind him. Most were Midwesterners from Ohio sure. and Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, there is, so part one of the sites I got some of this research from was um, ssedmondfitzgerald.org. And on that website, there's a full list of the victims, along with some information and pictures of each of them. And it's, it's yeah. really sad. Yeah, I'm sure. In all, almost 100 ships have wrecked along the same stretch of shoreline along Lake Superior as the Fitzgerald. And some of the wreck sites have never been located. Sure. And that, my friends, is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> For all you Gordon Lightfoot fans yes. out there. We know that. We know you're out there. We know you're out there. There's one of you listening to this podcast. And right so now. I raised my pint of Guinness. My beer is actually empty. It but is, I'll, yeah. I'll cheers <laughs> with it anyway. To the 29 member, crew members... Of the Edmund Fitzgerald. May you rest in peace. Yes. At the bottom of Lake Superior. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, at least they were, not all of them, at least some of them were found. Well, the, the, one of the, them was. The, the wreckage was found. Yeah. So. I. It's not like they're in the, you know, Bermuda Triangle or at the bottom like of the freaking Atlantic. The wreckage was not lost. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So. The, um, there's something. I don't know, sort of, like, noble-ish about this story, too. You know, these guys were just, like, hardy, seafaring folk. There is something and... about... There's something noble about be, making your living in dangerous water. Yeah, really there hardcore really life, yeah. Because you're working all the time, unless you are sleeping, mm-hmm. or getting that 15 minutes that you can get to eat something. Mm-hmm. Right. It, whatever. Yeah. Um, and... You can die in so many different ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, really. Basically. You well, could, a wave could come, like a, a simple 10-foot wave could come, which sounds high to us, but for ships right, like right. whatever. And just take you off guard and sweep yeah. you out into the ocean. Yeah. And people are like, oh, where'd he go? I right. don't know. Just, it, it's, it is definitely a gritty, mm-hmm. a grunt. Kind of hard scrapple or hard scrap. Yeah. Scrapple? <laughs> Scrapper. Hard scrapping life? Yeah, sure. Scrapple is a Scrapple. breakfast. Scrapple will be the new um, urban dictionary <laughs> definition go. for a hard life. There you go. A tough life. But but in all seriousness, that, mm-hmm. like, those are people you don't necessarily want to fuck around with. Right, no. Because what do they These give a shit? These are tough a, people. What do, you, what do they give a shit? Right, right. <laughs> like, these are ta- tough people. You're talking shit to these people? They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, the, I've seen 30, 40 foot waves. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to me? Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yeah. There, there is definitely, and I, I'm sure a lot of those guys die young. Well, twenty was the youngest. But I'm talking about like oh, the overall. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. This is it's a fucking grind. Plus, it was back in the seventies yeah. too. Yeah. So, well, even yeah. I mean, people have been sailing the seas for oh sure, literally mm-hmm. thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are shipwrecks all over Earth. Mm-hmm. But um, it, there is there is something about that that I admire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I would never even yeah, come close to fucking I know. even. Even consider. I am not hardcore enough to do something Fuck like no. that. I'm so I fucking delicate, not. constitutioned, and I hate it. But, uh, <laughs> but but at least you're not dead at the bottom of Lake Superior. That's true. Oh, no, it's true. But still, may they rest in peace. Yeah. So yes, that. It, do you see why it was kind of a, a legend? It's a bit of an I, American yes, I legend. Yes, I do. And I again, it's just one of those things I've heard of. Yeah, hadn't heard the details. Knew of. nothing about it. Yep. Um, so yes, that was the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Wow, and that was just 
that was a bit of a gut punch. Yeah. That one right there. And just, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. literally, cheers to those guys. Yeah. For having the balls to do that in the first place and go out probably just being like, hey, we know it's going to go bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. This was another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.